0: Welcome to the modern girl podcast. I'm your host Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hello. How's it going? How are you feeling? I just want to check in. I, I just wrote a post slash email about all of the highs and the lows of this past week. It's been an emotional roller coaster for me, for a lot of my clients, for friends and family that I've checked in with. So I want to check in with you and see how you're doing. And I also want to let you know that you're not alone. If you are feeling super emotional or uncomfortable or pissed off or bored, um, if it's feeling more extreme than normal, you you are not alone in experiencing that. This past week, I absolutely was in it, Um, and I couldn't really figure out why. And if you're on my email, uh, my weekly email list, or you follow anything that I post in social, I've I've talked about this a little bit, but this is... This is why self-growth is so uncomfortable and why so many people resist it because actually sitting in the emotions and processing the emotions and doing the work to figure out why we're feeling certain ways, giving ourselves permission and so much compassion in the process and then getting support to move out of that emotion and take action It's a process and it takes so much work and it's exhausting, but at the same time, it's so incredibly rewarding and it's where we get to the next levels in our life. And so I'm so proud of the women that I've been able to support uh, through this past week and just over the last few months, while things have felt really unsettling in our culture, um they've just come so so far. I'm proud of myself for getting support. I have a coach, I have a therapist i'm I always will I'm just a big believer in always having continuous support um and I'm proud of you for for being here today and taking some time to utilize self care and pop your headphones in or just turn on this podcast wherever you are and and get some self-care, and some inspiration, and also um, listen to these conversations that sometimes aren't the easiest. My guest today is such a great example of this. I can't wait for you to meet her. I love this girl so much. She is such a badass. Theora Mensch is my friend, and one of my... Um, she's, she's one of my, what I call it her call her a colleague. She's, she's definitely a, um, a business bestie. We're in a mastermind together with, uh, a great business coach. And we met through there. She's a relationship expert and has a powerful story around her own relationship with her body and food and, um, and her experience with, with sexual trauma. I do want to add a trigger warning to this particular conversation. Um, if if you have experienced any type of sexual trauma or you are recovering from an eating disorder and are not ready to be in a conversation like this where, where we're really recapping a story of some pretty traumatic events, um, please respect where you're at in your own journey. And this is a conversation you can always come back to if, and when you're ready to hear it. Um, that being said, if, if you feel ready to sit with us and be here in this space, it is so powerful. We get into Theora's uh, personal body image story, just growing up, how, how it looked, how it evolved. And also battling an eating disorder, getting into the restrict binge cycle, eventually leading to purging and how that impacted her relationships, her friendships, her family, dating. Um, We talk about some sexual trauma that she experienced throughout all of that and how she moved through that. She's such a champion. She's so courageous and she's so bold in the way that she shows up for her community and her clients at this point in her journey and the business that she's built, we talk all about this. Um, This is a really inspiring conversation. So if you're at a place where you need a dose of inspiration in your life and you need to hear a champion story, this one is for you. Um, she She really walks you through the lows and how she was able to get to the highs in her process and also what it looks like today. Um, she is also somebody that I look up to in terms of just continued self-growth, personal development, just really somebody who is willing to invest in herself so that she can just show up more for others, show up more in her life, have a really amazing life. Um, and she's also somebody who is, is very humbled, um, and not afraid to ask for help when she needs it. And I personally like to surround myself with people like that because it's such a fantastic reminder of breaking up with perfection and how we can do that and the support that it takes to to uh, to break up with that and to recover from that. So I'm so excited to introduce this conversation to you. But guess what? We did not have time for the rapid fire questions at the end. I'm bummed about this. Um, It was just such a juicy conversation and it went a little bit longer. I wanted to be respectful of her time and yours, um, as well as mine. So stay tuned. We will definitely get her answers to the rapid fire questions, whether it's over an Instagram live or a little video that we send out in our emails or something fun, I will definitely let you know when that is up and running. Um, But let me tell you a little bit about Fiora and, and who she is and what she does. Theora is the founder of Truly Chosen, an international dating and relationship consulting agency. She is a dating and relationship expert who teaches women entrepreneurs, executives, and public figures how to find and recreate romantic relationships that are as extraordinary as the rest of their lives. This is a great conversation. I always say that, but this one is really, really good. I can't wait for you to listen. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Just a heads up, I am taking on one new private client in October. I am opening up one space. I have some um, some clients in transition right now, and that's creating space for one new in- incredible woman uh, who I who I'll have the opportunity to coach and so if you're getting the feeling that that's something that you would like to explore if you are a highly driven woman who also values continuous growth personal development and is struggling with your relationship with food and body image and really ready to make a change that is sustainable, um, and also dig deep in this coaching container so that we can really clear out the roadblocks that have been keeping you stuck so that you can create a life that gives you more presence in all areas areas of your life, more fun, more connection, um, and more empowerment, then please click the link in my show notes to book a Body Trust Breakthrough call. I have limited space for these. Um, if you don't see a slot and you just know you have to have a call, send me a direct message. We'll figure it out. But this is a no pressure conversation for us to really identify what's been keeping you stuck in your relationship with food and body image, and also get super clear on the next step for you, whether that's coaching with me, whether that's another program, whether that's another resource, we really break it down so that you feel completely confident in your next step. All right, love. I hope you have a great rest of the week and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Theora Mensch. Theora Mensch, thank you so much for being here, love. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm super excited to be here. Yes. I'm really grateful that you're here because you and I know each other. We've known each other about eight months now, but there's so many things that I don't know about you. And so I'm really, I'm really excited to take our relationship to the next level. (laughs) <laughs> yeah let's go let's go deep let's go real let's go oh. deep all right so let's start with your body awareness moment so if you could just share that first moment that you realized hey i'm in a body and this means something in the culture that i live in right now
1: yeah i so as i've been thinking about this um because it's a really interesting thing to go back and map because we're so body fixated in probably in the world, but I mean, I can speak for the culture we've grown up in. And I, looking back, um, I was really fortunate to grow up in a house where, and my parents were really conscientious about this, where like dieting didn't happen. It wasn't talked about. Um, my dad May like had made a very intentional decision like never to make any comments about my body um so looking back i think i was blessed with an incredibly healthy um an incredibly healthy environment mm. as far as family of origin where my mom didn't make disparaging comments about her own body um And so in in that sense, I really grew up in this beautiful, innocent, uh, where body wasn't part of my self-perception. And then (laughs) I think it was like fifth grade or sixth grade. um, And it's not super distinct, but I remember starting to have friends, girls who would, who would say things like they would mention muffin top mm. or um, that they were going to go on a diet or um, that food has a lot of calories. Um, so I think it was a combination of my, fr- my friends who were girls who, who were either being exposed to that kind of rhetoric and had internalized it and then started Um, superimposing it on themselves and I also probably I think sixth grade um a a couple things one my mom passed away when I was in fifth grade Mm -hmm. I still remember the first time I shaved my legs was in sixth grade sixth grade I think was really the year that like I started to read Cosmo and wanted like a Venus razor Mm -hmm. and um got wet and wild (laughs) nail polish, sparkled nail polish, where I really started, I think, to be indoctrinated into beauty culture. And that's when I started to look at my own body and started to find things that I didn't like because they didn't look like the models in Teen Cosmo. Yeah. So yeah, I think I was probably 11 when it really started to have an impact on my life. Yeah. It's almost
0: like this cool girls club like when you get into into middle school and and kind of the the curtain gets parted and you kind of see this world of you can't sit with me mentality or or whatnot just based on what you're reading or what you're doing or watching or whatnot
1: yeah yeah it's this it's almost like self-critique and self-loathing or this rite of passage out of girlhood into womanhood mm-hmm. Um yeah and and that's really where I it was it was sixth grade sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade when I really started to internalize that I didn't like my body I got really clear about what parts of my body I didn't like I think it was also an eight and it was also an age when I was more conscientious of my attraction to boys and um And also, actually, wow, this is bringing up so many memories. One was like being made fun of by a bunch of boys in the cafeteria because my skin has like a sort of um, uh, like a yellow undertone to it. And a bunch of them like taunting me about whether or not I used fake tanner. Wow. And, And then also getting sent to the principal's office because I was wearing a tank top and girls weren't supposed to to show their shoulders because I was distracting for boys so at like the innocent age of 12 impressionable I was being made responsible for boys boys ability to like I was just being made responsible for their feelings and their experience um and that I was even like being sort of told that that it was my fault if boys were sexualizing me. Right? Yeah, There's like a lot in there that was being, you know, exacerbated by administrators and authority figures, you know, also the culture of public school, middle school. Yeah. Um, Totally. And then also just the content I was consuming in these magazines that really did, they felt like these like textbooks to maturity and to, you know, being attractive, um, getting the attention you wanted, Mm -hmm. um, that you should want to get attention to. So,
0: Yeah. 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 I, I so relate to that. We, we had a rule in middle school where your, your, uh, your shorts
1: couldn't be above your fingertips. Did you have, mm-hmm. did you have a rule like that? <laughs> I don't remember shorts because I didn't like my legs, so I didn't. Oh, look, right. So that was the part of my body that I had decided wasn't wasn't attractive. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I remember it had to be fingertip length shorts, and tank tops had to be three fingers at least. Uh, it couldn't be any less than that, like in width. And that's really interesting that you say that because it's so true. We have, because we're around the same age, we grew up in this culture where it there were so many rules so that we didn't engage the male gaze on our, on our bodies and whatnot. And it just, it's so crazy to kind of look back and just to your point, think about what we were reading at that time. And I know you mentioned Cosmo, um, it really was like the Bible, the 17 and girl's life and teen Vogue. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, um, you know, these magazines still exist now, but they're so different now.
1: And are they, they I haven't picked one up. They <laughs> are. Yeah. They,
0: yeah. That's funny that you say that because I actually had not an either. And I went on Cosmo a couple of, actually a couple of weeks ago and it's a, It's definitely not perfect, nothing is, but it's very different than what we were reading for sure. mm. just much more inclusive, much more b- body diverse um and I was really, really happy to see that and I remember for me it was self magazine that was like my that was my magazine that mm. i was, it was like my bible um and Developed so many disordered tendencies from that, but they've really come full circle with their messaging at this point too, and and are really open to a lot of um, body neutral articles and just promoting health at every size and and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's great to hear that, but it's it's so crazy because um, yeah, it did have such an such an impact on our culture. I feel like that too. I love that you said Venus razors.
1: Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> That's all I wanted. Oh, me too. I never got one. They're not that great. Men's razors are better anyways. They
0: absolutely are. (gasps) Yeah.
1: Little hack for your audience. Uh, (laughs) Get yourself a mock. (laughs) Just as many blades and not as expensive. And higher quality. Noted. My poor husband, I always
0: use his razor and I won't stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let's keep going in your story when, when you were going through middle school and just realizing, Hey, I've, I'm in this culture where we're talking about this a lot and it's kind of this rite of passage. How did that, how did that make your transition harder or easier or more complicated into high school?
1: Um, I think looking back on my inner experience, I, I started to develop a, a feeling of feeling really out of control with food mm. because i had, i was had internalized that like I should be in control, yeah um, right that that I should be able to mentally manipulate my body um, and 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 like i was <laughs> I played soccer i started i played like I was an athlete and mm-hmm. I was still, you know, and and I would get home and I would make myself a whole thing of Annie's mac and cheese. And then I would beat myself up about it mm-hmm. um, because, yeah, because like I, I wasn't supposed to, that, that's not how I was supposed to be with food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say as like this body awareness, this negative, this body awareness that, drew pretty much it did it drew exclusively negative conclusions about me about my body um as it landed I started to feel like very um yeah just out of control around food um
0: can you look back and notice any kind of restriction that was going on any restrictive
1: eating uh so I don't no, I would say that it was more like i would I would eat and I didn't feel like I had the willpower I didn't experience restriction until later on in high school um but like it w- I would say it was around eighth, ninth grade where I started to just it just became a really distorted relationship to food, where food wasn't something that like I ate when I was hungry. Um, it, what I w- didn't have a role of like nourishing and fueling my body. Mm-hmm. It was something that I would like, my willpower would break. I would eat a bunch and then I would beat myself up. Yeah. I would overeat and then I would beat myself up mm-hmm. or my perception. I mean, I, looking back, maybe I wasn't overeating at all. Like I said, yeah. I was an athlete playing multiple sports. Uh, like it, maybe I was eating a totally healthy amount, uh, for a 14 year old but yeah. my memory of it was like this like these floodgates breaking um and me eating too much um and then and then just like a lot of self critique and really berating myself yeah and and like making it about my character and that i was bad that I, you know
0: well it's it's so interesting to hear you share this part of your story along the lines of the magazines that you were reading and the, the content that you were consuming at this time. And, and same thing for myself as well, because it's, it's so telling here we are reading magazines that are promoting 1200 calorie diets and exactly what you should or shouldn't eat to girls who need well above that. I mean, honestly, a a toddler's dietary needs are around 1200 calories <laughs> if that tells you anything and on top of that being highly active as well too it's it's funny that you mentioned um maybe it it is exactly what i should have been eating if not more because a lot of times it is that way and so we tend to feel like we're doing something wrong when in reality it's just a it's just a sign of restriction and our body actually compensating to to need that energy to survive. And so, but to your point, there's also so much shame and guilt and judgment that's built up around that because of of what we're told we're supposed to do or just the secrecy or whatnot around it. So that's really interesting. Yeah.
1: Uh, what was your relationship
0: with um, dating at that time? Because I know you mentioned before that <laughs> body image and just feeling like you were, you were in this body to kind of attract other men or, or partners.
1: What, what
0: did it look like in high school?
1: Yeah. So, and my body image wasn't all. So, one was I thought I weighed the wrong amount, and I like had a scale. Um, but again, like I didn't have the willpower to manipulate myself into weighing right. So it was like there was just this unattainable idea that I was constantly comparing myself to, and then always falling short because I didn't have, I, I historically was never like a willpower person. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I weighed the wrong amount, which like now what I know, I'm like, I actually like, I had such absurd ideas of what my, the like metrics, my body was supposed to live up to. Um, like, like how big my bra size was supposed to be, how much I was supposed to weigh um, how clear my skin should, was supposed, right? Like I had, I had pretty bad acne in, in high school as well. Um, like what I remember being like critical of the angle that I walked with my feet, Mm -hmm. right? Like it should be a little bit out, but like definitely not pigeon toed, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's like the level of analysis. Or like every single, I opened every single part of my body up to um, critique. And like, I think the only parts of my body that I liked were like my, my eyes and my hands and my feet. Mm-hmm. And Everything else I could find at least one, if not many things wrong with it.
0: Was this all self-imposed or were you getting feedback from anybody in, in your social circle?
1: No, mine was all self-imposed. Yeah um, yeah, mine was self-imposed either through like, again, what I was consuming or what I was hearing other girls say about their own bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, and then me being like, Oh, I should have that kind of relationship with myself. Yeah. I'm curious when you, if you can remember,
0: if you heard conversations like that, is it something that you would tend to chime in to the conversation with, or would you just digest it and self-internalize it and kind of use what everybody else was saying to, to manipulate?
1: No, I think that we we would totally be like, Oh my God, I hate my, like, I hate my upper arms. Yeah. My God, your upper arms are amazing. I hate my legs. The mean girl talk. Well, yeah. Like we would (laughs) connect over self-deprecation. We would connect over. Yeah like there was this camaraderie and having chosen parts of ourselves that we didn't like and that we didn't want and that were wrong with us. Mm -hmm. Um, It was never like, I love my eyes. Like, I love, I love your eyes too. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't like a positive affirmation party, you know, but yeah, we would create connection through like the parts of us we'd chosen, parts of ourselves we'd chosen to hate. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then as far as dating, like I, uh, I, I felt very passed over. Um, I was like, in middle school, I was very much kind of like a beta. Like I had like, there was like a ringleader and we would kind of, we sort of follow her lead. Mm -hmm. Um, in high school, I definitely started evolve. I mean, I ended up starting to do theater and that's when I started to really like develop like environmental, like awareness and consciousness. So I sort of went more of like a uh, like hippie activism, Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of started coming online. But, um, like if I look back, I didn't date much. Um, and I, I, I definitely didn't, I did not think I was beautiful until I think the first time I looked at myself and was like, Oh my gosh. I am I'm beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. I was drunk, mm-hmm. and I think it was my like junior or senior year of college. Oh wow! Um, and it definitely wasn't. It wasn't like a sense of beauty that landed and stayed. Mm. Um, that was just the like the first time since being a young adult where I looked in the mirror and thought I saw someone someone who was physically beautiful. Mm. um and then before that they you know, like I always thought I was overweight I always thought my acne was gross um and I had a story that like I I was I was the best friend but you know uh, what was, yeah. was like always a bridesmaid, never the bride yes yeah right where like like because I had, had I had had some guys get to know me you know and I would be like oh, they're giving me all this attention and then like two weeks after we started talking to her they'd be like so is your friend uh Jenna single, and I was like, "Oh, because <laughs> by that time I had like, oh god, like such a you know high school crushes, man. You would be uh, obsessed. You would go oh yeah, in the yearbook and obsessed. <laughs> took their pictures from previous years. He was a year older. Oh my god. But I obsessed, I, I, obsessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ooh, kind of gross and crazy and weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I just had like very very low self esteem. I didn't think I was beautiful. Um, I didn't I didn't like didn't like it was like this juxtaposition. Though, I wasn't necessarily walking around being miserable all the time. It was like there was this like really discovering sense of self, mm. but that being sort of relegated to intellect and being very rewarded socially and intellectually. Um, Interesting. But- so that's kind of what knew, what people knew you as the Yeah, like, they knew me as, like, nice and fun, and, Mm -hmm. like, I I was, I ended up being, like, ASB, on the ASB, as ASB treasure, you know what I mean? So, like, kind of everybody knew me, um, but I was a fun girl. I definitely was not a hot girl. Yeah. And I had lots of friends who were guy friends who would talk. I, I remember this one time in college. I was, like, with these five guys. We'd smoked weed, and they just started talking about how much, like, how bummed they were. There weren't hot girls that, oh. Lewis and Clark, and I was sitting there, and I was like, ooh, Oh my god. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's so interesting,
0: especially just kind of hearing your story and really listening to your journey, just being in this position in middle school where your first body image moment really came upon you because you realized that the opposite sex was kind of measuring self-worth based on that and then just your, your friends' conversations and then getting to college and still getting, having that desire, but getting feedback that you're the best friend, not the hot girl.
1: Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, That I wasn't desirable.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. I, I can definitely relate to that 100%. And isn't it crazy to look back and think, wow, All of that preoccupation, all of that energy, all of the the thoughts that went into body and just food and and just all of the things that we did to try to attract that.
1: All the time that could have been had, like having fun, going swimming, making adventures, making dream catcher, like just like all of the energy that got leaked into like a, a self-loathing, like loop. Yeah. Especially, 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 especially because like looking back, first of all, I can't remember like 75% of the crushes I had, Mm -hmm. you know, second of all, it was just like, God, like what a waste. Yeah. Time like this, like who, who I was doing it for, right. Like who I told myself I was doing it for, like you know, 15 year old boys. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Puget Sound on a small island called Bainbridge. Puget Sound's in Washington state. Oh, I was going, I was like, you're like, and that would be at another country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. And then where'd you go to college? I went to college in Portland at Lewis and Clark college. Okay. I thought you said that. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Cool. So tell us a little bit about your your relationship with your body in college and just your relationship with food and if the transition from high school to college um, was, was hard or easy and, and what that looked like.
1: Yeah, so um, my junior year of high school is when I developed disordered eating. Um, I mean, it was probably, I mean, I, I don't actually know the real definitions. I'm sure it was disordered before that given like how emotionally Mm-hmm. abusive I was being to myself around food. Um but I went to I did a a summer abroad in Chile after my sophomore year of high school. I um it was hard, it was challenging. It was the first time I started I started drinking. Mm-hmm. Um I drank a lot. Turns out lots lots and lots of sugar and alcohol, especially when you're doing rum colas. <laughs> <laughs> that And I was also, and I like, was like addicted to bread. Um, And so I gained like 30 pounds in two months, um, came home and I, uh, and like the reason I gained that weight was due to like starting to experience uh, depress, depressive, I'm starting to have like depression like experiences. Yeah. And then I returned from Chile, thirty pounds heavier. Which for somebody that already thought her own body was quote gross, um, my like self esteem was in the tank. And then I was also sexually assaulted that fall, mm. um, and that was my first experience of sexual assault, um, and it was rape. Oh, God. Um, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then I and when i say disordered eating i was binging and purging so yeah. and then so i was I, for that summer then near the end of that summer when i was just like watching my weight go up and up and up i started throwing up and then throughout that entire following school year i was bulimic mm-hmm. um and and what was really interesting was being bulimic um and <laughs> Uh, but, like, that wasn't actually changing the way my body looked, so here, the the strategy I was using was this incredibly, like, violent strategy, Mm -hmm. but it still wasn't, it wasn't actually, like, right, so I was, so not only was I, like, really hurting myself, but I was also, but it wasn't, like, working. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's, well, it's interesting that you say that. I, you may or may not know i i struggled with bulimia for like on and off for almost 15 years mm-hmm. and i equated a lot to cutting where mm-hmm. it it really doesn't a lot of people would not ever know um and it's just such a, a harmful choice to uh manipulate your body so i i totally know what you mean oftentimes it it does go um undiagnosed because it's so easy to keep it a secret so
1: yeah yeah and i mean i remember like being envious of i remember feeling envious of like people who could be anorexic yeah oh god I know. um because like i could i could not stop myself from mm-hmm. eating um despite like wanting to and so my answer to that was to purge afterwards mm-hmm. um So yeah. So, but also for me, it wasn't, and I, and this is also when I remember hearing rumors about other girls having eating disorders and it was really like talked about in this, like, you know, like, Oh my God, did you know, like, I heard that like after dinner, she goes up and she takes a shower Mm -hmm. towel, you know? And like, so we, so I started hearing this like really like diminishing gossip about other girls who had, who like, I don't even know. It could be that like, they had just started doing sports, you know, or whatever, but, you know, these sort of these rumors being shared. So then I, you know, I knew it was like something really shameful and certainly to be kept hidden. Yeah. Um, And and I don't actually remember how I stopped. I think uh, what happened was, is the, for me, the disorder deceiving was very much a symptom of the depression and like suicidal ideation I was experiencing um, and, and I think it was a of hurting control over myself because I felt so out of control, um, in every other way. Um, but I had like slowly, I had slowly started isolating myself from friends. I would like walk into the commons where you're supposed to have lunch. And I would, and I would, I had, a, I was like making, cause this is what happens when you're in depression is like you, your sensory reality starts to become sort of, I started having this like started having this story that, like people didn't really like me because, like I wasn't that cool. Mm-hmm. And I, so I started like eating alone in the library, totally self-imposed. Um, yeah, like really self-isolating. Yeah. Um, it's a vicious cycle. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, everything sort of like fuels the flame of everything else. yeah,
0: absolutely. were you were you getting any therapy or anything or any kind of support? Did you tell anybody that you were experiencing even depression?
1: I think I did. So the morning after I was raped, I remember waking up and that was the first time I'd had suicidal ideation. Yeah. Where I was like I felt so disgusting in my own body and I was in so much like existential pain and I just remember being like I just don't I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like I don't want to live.
0: Mm.
1: Um and you know yeah and like that really scared me. I, and I think, um, I think it really scared me because also in that moment I knew the devastation that would cause my dad having already, him already lost my mom. Yeah. Uh, and so I felt like if I killed myself, I would kill, be killing him as well. Mm -hmm. And so I remember calling him and, um, I called him at work and I said, I need help and I need it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I can't totally remember, but I think I started going, I did start, I did start seeing somebody I did start get, going to therapy, but, de- but never, ever mentioned the disordered eating. Yeah. Um, it was, I'm more talked about, um,
0: the suicidal thoughts.
1: Yeah. It, I don't even know if I ever told them that I had suicidal thoughts. I think mm-hmm. I just shared that I was having a hard time. Um, See- do you think it's because of the, or why do you think you, you didn't share
0: either of those things with your therapist?
1: Um, I didn't understand the nuance, uh, cause like I didn't realize that there, that like there's, that you can have suicidal ideation without it actually meaning you're suicidal. Right. Um, and I know that they have to report, like I knew they had to report that kind of thing. I was okay. a minor, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. also a lot of shame around it. Um, yeah, definitely. We, I'm from a small town and we'd had on average one suicide, one teenage suicide a year. And it caused a lot of, it would make people really angry mm-hmm. because, cause you hurt, cause so many people get hurt in the process of, of dying by suicide, you know? So um, yeah, so I, I think that I, I you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be misunderstood. I didn't, Yeah. you know. I, I didn't want I didn't want the therapist to think I was quote more fucked up than I was, but it's like uh. <laughs> totally, which I think is um I I appreciate you
0: saying that. I can I can also relate to a lot of the things that you're sharing as well to just the shame in even telling a therapist certain things. I think that if anybody um if you ever struggle with any kind of perfection or just that severe fear of being judged even when you're in a, a safe space with a therapist or a counselor or um, somebody who is supporting you, it can it can still feel really really hard to share those things so for anybody who's listening, I just I want to take a pause here if it's cool and yeah, of course yeah, and what would you if somebody is in a situation like this where they are seeking treatment for depression or suicidal tendencies or any type of eating disorder where it's attached to a lot of shame anything at all doesn't have to be those three things specifically but what's something that you wish you would have done in hindsight that you would encourage somebody else to do who's in a situation like that right now
1: Mm. um well the well one get support Mm -hmm. um And also I think something that, that media really does a disservice to is whether it's sexual assault or suicidal ideation or eating disorders is like, they paint these people as really broken. Oh yeah. And I didn't really, I didn't think of myself as broken, right? Like I thought of myself as like an environmentalist and like a student and like a theater lover and Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I saw these depictions of characters who, again, like had disordered eating or who were depressed, they, they were so dramatized and like so broken that I didn't see myself, um, versus, or like sexual assault is, is always portrayed as like this like really violent, uh, you know, it's, like, in the parking lot, and yeah. she's like she's, like, really clearly saying no, and, like, he's, and he all of a sudden, like, morphs into this, like, horrific monster of a guy, and it's just, like, ha, ha, ha whatever, you know, right, um, but he's been, like, charming up until that point, and, and so I also didn't, I also didn't know that I had been raped, um, until, until 12 years later, uh, can you
0: explain that a little bit, because I, I would love to open up that conversation if you're comfortable with that Yeah,
1: I'm very comfortable with it because I think we're um yeah so um I had been drinking and um I had said no so many times um uh I, I also was like look like the next morning I was like in and out of blacking out mm-hmm. um I had said no i had been like I have a boyfriend you know I'd like tried to no to having sex, right? No to like anything. Anything. Okay. Like he was trying to kiss me, got it. And um, was this at a party or was it in like yes. a dorm room or? Okay. No, this was yeah, this was at a party in high school, and um, I said no. I don't even, you know, like sure. More more than probably like seven or eight times, and like then in the morning I woke up and I like had these flashbacks where, uh. You know, like he was being intimate with me and. And this is the other thing is like, so he was kissing me and I was kissing him back. Mm. But like, then I remember like pushing him away and being like, no. Um, And, and then it just kept, um, it just kept uh, escalating. And he, we, we didn't actually have sex. He fingered me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I also didn't think it was rape because I assumed that rape had to involve like, a penis. Yeah. Penetration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and so I looked, and I was, like, well, I participated. I didn't say no clearly enough, right? Like, I, I was drunk. Yeah. All the stuff versus understanding that, like, that's actually how rape usually happens. It's not, like, being attacked in an alley by someone you don't know. It's through emotional coercion, um, Think about it. Like, have you ever been on a date when someone kissed you and you weren't into it, but you caught yourself kissing back? It's like an automatic response to someone kissing you is Mm -hmm. kissing them back, right? Right. Right. Um, and so and so because it wasn't this like violent being held down, me like yelling for help, I was like, oh, okay, I just like it was my fault, right? Mm -hmm. Versus the fact that like I I was too drunk to give consent. I did say no a number of times, like, before it started happening, while it started happening. Um, yeah. So, like, I didn't understand until – I didn't understand that, right? Like, I just thought I had fucked up. It was my fault. I totally internalized it. Um, did you see him after? Like, did, were you guys in no, the same social remember. circles? Oh, okay. He was an exchange student at a different school. Wow. Yeah. And then afterwards he like broke down crying about his mom who'd passed away and I held him while he cried. Whoa. So like not only was I raped, I then like was comforting my rapist. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> um, and so I, I, the reason I brought that up is like, is just that like you're not broken if you're experiencing this stuff you're actually just like a normal human being yeah like there's so much if if people are moving through the world and they're not freaking out they're not really paying attention there's so much uncertainty there's and 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 even you know when we were teenagers i mean it's it's pretty crazy right now um and facebook i think has like really fueled those flames of divisiveness Mm -hmm. um uh and like the internet and like troll culture but um but like even back then like we were going to like war with Iraq and like all it was just like yeah there's like the world there's is always crazy. something yeah it's there's always something a human mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to be a human um it's it's very hard to be a. a there's so many things that are trying to tear you down and like if this is the way that someone has found to cope or exert, like exert some sense of control or even to just like feel c- connected to self. I think like a lot of times depression comes from this, like feeling disconnected from the world or other people. And so we create sort of this like self-obsessed connection to self because mm-hmm. it feeds that you can feel something. Mm-hmm. And so I think is to like, if, if you're listening to this and you're experiencing this is like, it's not good for you. It's not healthy, but it actually makes a lot of sense. It serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. It doesn't mean that you're broken. And what I would love for them to hear is like, there's ways for them to feel in control or to feel, to feel Mm -hmm. that don't also hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and so, yeah, like, get. support. Like I've gone to therapy a number of different times in my life and every time it was such a saving grace. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and I, but I just want people to hear that, like the way it's portrayed on TV is not how it is. Um, yeah, I appreciate
0: you saying that. I'm also a huge advocate of destigmatizing conversations around eating disorders, mental health, and I I appreciate us having this conversation about rape, and it's, it's funny that we're not funny, that is absolutely the wrong word, it's (laughs) really, I get it, It I get it, it's definitely not funny, it's interesting that we're talking about all of this, because I also keep thinking that we grew up in, like, this lifetime movie uh, culture, where Mm -hmm. a lot of these, uh, a lot of these issues that we're talking about were really dramatized and stigmatized in in a way that kind of painted this picture of this is what this girl looks like. This is what the situation looks like really horrifically too. Um, you know, and so I, I totally know what you mean. I felt the same way too. I felt like, oh my gosh, but I'm not that, I'm not that
1: bad. I'm not, I'm not pathetic. (laughs) Yeah. like I'm passionate like I care about shit like I'm an athlete I'm a I'm an actress like I'm in you know Mm -hmm. like I'm like passionate about politics you know Mm -hmm. Um, and I figured my 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 whole world didn't revolve around the disorder to eating either it was was just like this this sort of like thing in the background that I did to myself but it wasn't my life right
0: yeah Right. right yeah Totally. So walk us through what it looked like to finally get to that place of surrender where you realized, okay, something has to change. I, I have to do something to truly heal my relationship with food and body. And what was that transition like for you or that light bulb moment even?
1: Yeah, I think, again, it, like I said, for me to start dating was, like, symptomatic of some, some, like, uh, like, d- deeper things that were going on and, of like, depression stuff. And I actually had a friend my junior year where she was dating this boy. He was an upperclassman and he's a senior and her dad did it, was not okay with her dating in high school. Mm-hmm. she did it anyway for like five or six months and I knew the guy he was a sweet kid um, but her father found out and like really laid a guilt trip on her about like he said what I can't believe is that you've lied to me mm. for the last six months and, and I thought it was a little intense she was an only child you know what I mean like I was yeah. like oh that's my crazy like yeah dude teenagers lie to their parents <laughs> like it's <laughs> of differentiation you know what I mean like yeah. how is she going to be a good negotiator if she doesn't know how to you know play, <laughs> play an audience but oh my god I love that you just said that that's really funny yeah but but I remember her saying that and so and telling this me this after she decided to break up with the guy she was like I broke up with him because my relationship to my family is more important mm. and it kind of hit me where I was like whoa I was like I've been lying to my dad for like a year mm. I've, I've been like going to, I've been sneaking out of going to parties. When I said I was at this friend's house, she was saying she was at my house and then we were going and, you know, going to parties or hanging out with, you know, these like, now I look back and I'm like deadbeat <laughs> senior see <your> guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. the set, Well, the things that we think are cool. Um, and, and I just realized, I was like, whoa, that doesn't feel good. And I think some of that was, Um, like my dad had been the only constant in my life because my mom passed when I was little and he'd married an amazing woman, but like, there was something really important about that relationship with him. And, um, and yeah, when she said that, I was like, Whoa, Mm. yeah, like that's true. Um, and I made a decision that I was going to come clean with my dad. Mm. And so like, I think. It was it was that weekend. I went into his office and I said, "Hey, Dad, I have something to tell you." He said, "Yeah." I said, "I've been lying to you for a year," mm-hmm. and I told on myself that I was like, when I said I was at this friend's house, I was really going to parties. That I've been drinking. That I've been smoking cigarettes. I didn't talk about um, suicidal ideation and disordered eating. I talked more about like the rules I was breaking. Mm-hmm. And my it's dad was in college. No, this was my junior year of high school. Okay, got it. Going into the summer after junior year, and and I remember, and um, yeah, and he just was kind of like, "Whoa, it's <laughs> like no idea." Yeah, he was like, "Whoa." I mean, I think he, they, they knew that I was having a hard time. Later, he described it as like he said it was like, like t- trying to get through to me it was like watching bullets ricochet off a tank. Mm. Uh, and so, like they knew something was wrong, but they just didn't know how 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 bad it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and he was like, okay, well, you know, he's like, I really appreciate you being honest with me, but you're right. Like there does need to be some, so I got grounded for two weeks and Mm -hmm. that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Dad. (laughs) Oh my God. So yeah. So I got, I was grounded for two weeks. Um, which is just like so funny now looking (laughs) back on it, I was like, like such a late punishment, but, um, and, and I like, And I, I really, I like pretty immediately stopped hanging out with all of my friends who I was like kind of getting into trouble with. And I was like, who, I was like, who was, who were my group of friends? Who was like my last group of friends where I really felt like light and fun. Mm -hmm. And I, and I like, you know, reached out to a couple, I called them up and was just like, Hey you know, and I basically was just like, I would really like to hang, start hanging out again. And yeah. And so I kind of, just, I took the reins on, it wasn't so much about food as it was about, um, like resurrounding myself with people that weren't unhappy. i mm, like surrounding that, myself with people who were happy and so who, valuable. Yeah. And, and I think that the, dis, at least the bulimia then Sort of started to fade. That said, um, there, when I and I should say I should say regular um, mm-hmm. bulimia started to fade. Then in se- they probably through the end probably in, probably through the end of f- my senior year, I would I would still do it from time to time when I felt like I had like overeaten. Mm-hmm. Um, But then I did, then I spent, then I took a year off between high school and college and I, um, Oh, maybe I did there as well. Um, I did a semester in the wilderness where I was like backpacking and mountain. Yeah. It was really cool. And I felt really empowered. And then I went and lived in France, but I think I, I did it in France. So it was really interesting. It was kind of like this, it was kind of like this thing. I had it because like I had, Trained my gag reflex. Yeah, was in my in my back pocket that like when I when I overdid it and I felt like I needed a corrective thing, mm-hmm. I I could I would do it. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I just want to pause if it's okay yeah.
0: because this is something that is not okay, and I I want to talk about it more if it's mm-hmm. cool with you because yeah. I, of course I see and I hear so many women. Using this as a tool when they've eaten too much or mm-hmm. are just you know aren't comfortable whether they've drank too much or whatnot and it's it's not a tool it's not a tool to just throw up and, and feel a little bit lighter afterwards It does so much damage to our bodies and I don't think that I don't think that enough people understand that and so it does kind of get passed off as like oh yeah every once in a while it's okay um and there's this isn't to create shame this is to create awareness that a lot of people do it and it's also a, a lot more people than we than we realize because it's so secretive but it's also doing a lot of harm and so if you're listening to this and it's something you're struggling with i would encourage you to get support hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And when I say that, like corrective, it's, it's like corrective because I was still holding myself to some sort of unhealthy bar. Yeah. Totally. Right? totally. Like, um, it was like, oh, okay, I did this. Now I feel bad about myself. So let me just punish myself a little bit so, yeah. that, I, so that I can like relieve this sense of guilt, mm-hmm. um, which is still an abuse cycle. a self yeah. abuse cycle. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really glad that you like paused to say it because yeah, like I didn't, I was like, oh, well, I don't do it that often.
0: Yeah. Which you is know? so common. It's so common yeah. for, I was, I've, I've been through that as well too, you know, just kind of feeling like, well, it's not that bad, but it's, it's, it's not bad in the sense of oh there's so much shame around it it's bad in the sense that it truly is doing so much harm on on our bodies that we don't even realize and so it's important to just pause and say that
1: yeah um, and 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 I think maybe also normalize that like that sometimes it's it's more gradual you totally. know it's like yeah um versus it, it's not like I had this like moment of realization and I was like no I love myself like Whee. like it's so easy you know it was like I could yeah. I could slip back into these moments of of like I wasn't cutting it mm-hmm. right yeah so let me like like punish and correct um yeah <laughs> totally um, so <laughs> I, I think that like it would pop uh it definitely popped up during senior year it definitely popped up when I was living in France because I still have the same out of control relationship to food Mm -hmm. and that hadn't necessarily gone anywhere. Um, and I would say, I think probably through, I probably did it a few times in freshman year of college as I started to really like, um, college party, which is Mm -hmm. quite a bit different than high school party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh God. Yeah. And then, um, but I think it was way less because I lived in a dorm in freshman, my freshman year. And so I couldn't get away with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I think, I think, I think that's, it really started to peter out um, that, yeah, my freshman year. So where, where in your life, what part of your life,
0: because I 100% agree that just self-acceptance and especially body acceptance, body image or relationship with food. It's a constant journey because life is always changing. It's mm-hmm. always changing. We're always evolving and the dynamics of life are always changing and it's highly unpredictable. Yeah. So that being said, where in your life do you feel like you, you started to at least make that shift towards more consistent self- acceptance? Um, and just feeling more comfortable in, in your own skin. And what were some of the variables that, that really played a big part in that? I know that you mentioned just this, the circle of friends that you were hanging out with and everything, but would you say that was more after college or was that just kind of consistently through college you were finding that for yourself or something different? I,
1: I mean, I think I've think I, was a, I I've been a really passionate person most of my life, um, but I was creating my life unconsciously and I was and I was following other people's paths of you know you do college and then you get a job and uh, and I was just trying to figure it out but I think looking back the feeling was sort of like I just felt like I was guessing all the time and there was a sort of like emotional volatility to that Mm. um and so as far I I think I mean, I th- I think there's a difference between, like, self-acceptance and self-love. Totally. So,
0: there totally th- is. Yeah. What yeah. do you think?
1: How do you define it? I'm always I think thinking. I really start, like, self-acceptance. Yeah, college was hard for me. I think um, I think self-acceptance started to happen for me after college. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, like, looking back now, and I can talk about my relationship to alcohol, too, but um, I think I do – well, one – it turns out that I had all of these dietary. I have I have things that I'm, uh, like don't ha- I don't create the enzymes to digest. Mm-hmm. So I was experiencing inflammation, and as we know now, like the gut creates, what is it like sixteen times more serotonin than the brain? Yeah, it's insane. That was a so, huge.
0: That was a huge point for me too because I struggled with depression as well. It's it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So
1: realizing like. I would. I had this dep- this depressive inclination, um, which, like, when I'm depressed, I uh, I'll eat in certain ways, and then, of course, eating those certain ways would then create the inflammation, which probably, which led to like serotonin deficiency, right? Like, and like looking back, I'm like, oh, so like I would say like until I was probably 28. Mm -hmm. Um, there was just this sense of like, I, I drank, um, you know, I, I didn't, at the time didn't like characterize myself as having a drinking problem and I still wouldn't call myself an alcoholic, but, um, I definitely abused alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I also just like had these unidentified foods that, um, like legit make my body feel like physiologically bad, um, that I was eating all the time. So, mm-hmm. so like, I like internally didn't feel good. Um, yeah. So everything kind of informed each other. So I would say like self-acceptance probably closer to 24. Mm-hmm. And then I would say I started to really unearth some self-love at the end of 28 moving into 29 yeah um and the self-acceptance was where I I still carried a lot of like thinking like my legs were gross like looking at my body and not liking what I saw um but just was like okay that's normal like it's just normal to feel that way um and I and I wasn't I wasn't like I wasn't um it's interesting. It's like, I was sort of like psychologically abusive to myself, but I was no longer being physically abusive to myself. Yeah. Um, but that sort of, that sort of self-psychological abuse was, mm-hmm. or psychological self-abuse was very normal because I, most people, I think do that. But
0: it's so normalized in our culture. It, it's because we've made it normal in our culture and mm-hmm.
1: it's,
0: you know, it's something I'm really passionate about changing. Um, yeah, but but, yeah, I think that you're spot on. I think that we kind of get a pass for ourselves by the negative self-talk because we think, well, it's just something everybody does.
1: Yeah. It's like, no, how about nobody do it? Exactly.
0: Well, that's why we're having this conversation, to change,
1: yeah. change
0: the way that we talk about ourselves and the way we talk about our bodies with each other. Um, I want to pivot the conversation before we wrap it if that's okay. So, because you're a relationship expert and you coach like incredible women from all walks of life. And I'm just curious, how did you, how did you even get into that? Uh, the, the short version, because we'll probably have to have you back on for a, an in-depth conversation, but what was, what was your trajectory into your business?
1: yeah so I hit my saturn returns twenty eight so um where i sort of i i don't know if your listeners can identify this, but I kind of like burned everything down around me. I left the relationship that looked good on paper, I left the job that looked good on paper um and which also,
0: yeah, and you yeah. started
1: having the self acceptance with your body too so well, yeah, so this was at the end of that so that year I like very severely abused alcohol um and then I, dro- I drove home blackout drunk one night um, mm. and that scared, I scared the shit out of myself. And that's when I was like, whoa. So I, I hit rock bottom basically. Um, and then was like, okay, kind of like enough is enough. Um, and that's when I really started it, basically out of like sheer desperation and, and sheer need ended up on this pilgrimage, um, which involved going to Burning Man and, starting to work with a life coach, I discovered there was these things called life coaches that like their job was to help you like live an amazing life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so along that journey, um yeah, I discovered life coaching, I heard working with the life coach. Um and the more that I was on the receiving end, the more I was like, oh, I would love to help people in this way and like love help people um like yeah. create joy and happiness. And so um what were you doing? What was your career at the time? Oh, at the time, I was Lyft driving, nannying people's friends, doing cider samples at cider fests. Cool. Yeah, like odd jobs because I was like, I, don't, I, I had left the, the, the job that I was at, and um, people don't talk about professional trauma, but I was very, like, traumatized by leaving. Which one? Um, what, what career? I was, uh, I was, like, doing small business development, um, it. And administrative, I was like a business manager, got it, um, yeah, and like i was yeah so so that so i I left the relationship, I left the job, I moved out of the house, like he got the dog, um, oh, yeah, all of it first, yeah, like all, lost all of our mutual friends, um lost his family. you know what I mean, like everything, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and then was basically like really again this was the second time i experienced like intense depression in my life mm. um came out the other side and was like fuck it i'm going to try being a life coach mm. <laughs> so i was like first i was a life coach um and during that whole year i started to like consume everything i could get my hands on about relationship i started um started like listening to audiobooks and get in, and listening to podcasts and going to mm-hmm. seminars and um you know just like uh, I was obsessed basically. Um, mm-hmm. cause I discovered these energies called masculine and feminine, which I'd never heard of before. <laughs> um, but they spoke at this really molecular level. Um, cool. And yeah. so I was a life coach and then I decided I want to be a business, an intimacy coach. And then I was like, Oh, I don't want to do intimacy. I want to help I want to help women create businesses. So I started helping women create businesses, pulling on my, like my business manager background. And then I was like, actually, I want to help business partners. And they're really, so I did like, I was like, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And then finally, um, finally, like the notice that the through line with every single one of those iterations was what lit me up the most was the work that I got to do with people on their romantic partnerships. Awesome. Um, and so finally like placed, put my, Planted my flag in that after trying, you know, five other different kinds of coaching careers, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then yeah, I, I haven't looked back since because okay. I I really do love it.
0: Amazing,
1: amazing. I,
0: yeah,
1: I just am so inspired
0: by the work that you do now and just how you show up for your community and the clients that you serve. Um, I have a couple of questions. I don't. Yeah. I, I want to be mindful of your time, but just what's your what's your perspective with relationships in the modern world right now what do you feel like are some of the the biggest themes that you see with your clients in terms of the questions that they're asking or the things that they feel like hey I'm the only one experiencing this and
1: it's just so not the case um mm. is there anything
0: that comes to mind
1: yeah, um, there's there's one there's like so I work with people who are single and are are ready to call in their life person like they're you know they probably like learned all the lessons as a single person and are like cool so I've learned a lot of lessons single and I'd really want yeah. to like move into chapter two where I get to like be with the person and create life or I work with couples that um, that are like good they feel like an awesome team and but there's like this sneaking suspicion of like what if there's actually like more available, available? Like, could we actually like take this to like a new level of spectacular, whether that be erotically or financially or create you know, more intimacy and, and deeper communication? Yeah. Um, so the, the biggest thing I see, um, there's a lot of complaints, right? Like this, the dating culture where I live isn't good. There aren't that many good matches where I live. I hate online dating um like uh, another one that I've seen a lot the more that like mindfulness has become popularized is this like well it must be divine timing
0: and that's Mm. why it hasn't
1: happened yet interesting and and really what um I believe is I believe that I'm sort of on like the leading edge of a frontier personal development that isn't that isn't that well developed yet Mm -hmm. um where like I mean, Think and Grow Rich was written, what, like in the early, ni- like 1920 something. Right. Um, so like there have, there's been like business development for a long time. A long well, time. That, right? Yeah.
0: I was just reading something about that actually. It's, it's been but, around a while.
1: <laughs> yeah. But with relationship, um, I was reading an uh, article about the history of marriage and it wasn't until the 1970s in the U.S., that picking a marriage based off of love was normalized. Like, yes, people did it before that, but they were, they were, they were there was a stigma, you oh, know? You married not a couple? That poet. long ago. No, that's less than a lifetime ago. Yes. And so it was understanding that any advice we're getting from like previous generations is advice from a dating culture that was designed for like resource acquisition and political and social alliance creation. It was, it's not advice that comes from a culture designed to create fulfillment and joy and spiritual growth together.
0: So interesting. Yeah.
1: So crazy just to
0: have that in your back pocket. Um, yeah. It gives so much more perspective to things.
1: Yeah. Conscious relationship is brand new to the planet. Brand new. As far as like, and mass, what's really cool is so many people are in the personal development space space. We're now starting to have a critical mass. We're ca- starting to have like the volume of people necessary in order for more conscious partnerships to happen. Mm. Um, so, like my miss- one of my missions, like you talked about, destigmatizing the entire conversation we're having about like body right. image and sexual assault and depression and getting help and right. My right. mission is to like really destigmatize this idea that like it's j- quote just supposed to happen. Mm. and instead because like yeah some people win the lottery mm-hmm. but I, th- I wouldn't that would not be my go-to wealth creation strategy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yet most people walk through the world very very unconscious thinking that like well if I'm a good person all I have to do is like stay in my lane be a good person and I'll meet my partner mm-hmm. and that's just like not how epic happens epic doesn't happen with blinders on it doesn't happen like you going to the gym doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to create a lot of wealth in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. You creating a lot of wealth in your portfolio doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel healthier and more vibrant in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so like working on those things do- does not necessarily mean that you're going to create a powerful, passionate partnership that renews over time. If you want to create a powerful, passionate partnership that renews, you actually have to do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that most of us crave that, but we're so saturated and normalized to people like haphazardly trying to figure it out and thinking that like, you shouldn't be like reading books or podcasts or like doing it intentionally. The, like, imagine if somebody was like, I'm just going to like cross my fingers and hope that I create a business. Yeah. It's like, no, you like learn about it. You figure out what you want the business to look like, what your vision is for the business. You place yourself in communities like the masterminds that we're a part of where like other people are doing it so that you like, imagine being in a mastermind of like a bunch of other couples or a bunch of people intentionally dating where like their vision inspires your vision where you can come to them and get like really high quality advice, not BS, like love finds you and you're not looking for it. Mm -hmm. That's not actually how that works right? Like, and yet that's the advice that everyone's heard a million bazillion times. Um, yeah. So like my mission is truly really like destigmatize working on dating and I want it to be as like, if, if you have a friend who's like, yeah, I just hired a personal trainer. People are like, Oh my God, that's awesome. I want it to be just as normal for people. Are like, Oh yeah, I just, I just hired a dating consultant. Like, Oh my God, that's awesome. I'm So excited for you. Yeah. You're going to have your partner in like, um, a year or less. That's incredible. Mhm. Right. Mhm. So that's really like what I see is this is like so many well-intended people um are really underinformed about how easy um it can be. It just you can't do it the way that everybody else does it. Mhm.
0: So, yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear you say all of this because I I see so many similarities in in our work and just the generalizations of relationships, whether it's the relationship to another person, a relationship to ourself, our relationship to food, and um, how much more intention needs to be brought into that conversation and that self-exploration to really make the kind of changes that you want or, or have your desires really come to life in a way that is lasting and sustainable and, Mm. and feels really good as well too. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited that we're just sharing this work that you're doing because I am totally in agreement with you. I think that it's revolutionary. I think that it is, um, something that we're going to see of more and more. Who would you say is the type of type of client that you really love working with the most what do they look like I know that Mm -hmm. you said some are some are single and then some are in these relationships that are wanting to go to the next level but in terms of just like demographics and things like that what are what are some of the keys
1: yeah so I work with men women and couples but what they have in common is their psychographic and so um these are people who they're very innovative. They're very imaginative. Um, they think about the world in creative ways. Um, they've, they've taken the reins on their professional world. They've taken the reins on their health. They've taken the reins on community, right? Like they're probably the kind of person that like really cultivates and collects amazing souls to, to surround themselves with. Mm -hmm. Um, and and they're starting to realize that like, wait a minute, if I can be the master creator of these other areas of my life, then I must be able to be the master creator of my love life as well. Mm. Um, and they're really like ready. They want, they want to employ the most cutting edge strategies and mindset. Um, they want a relationship, like they haven't settled. Um, they don't settle and uh And and like, like there's a voice inside of them that just keeps insisting. Like there are people outside in the world that be like, you should like, like you're too picky or that like you want too much from your relationship or like Mm -hmm. husbands don't just don't do that, whatever. And there's this little voice that says like, yeah, but like, if I can imagine it, then like it must be possible to create. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, And, and like, and, and, and they really want a relationship that is, a masterpiece like a relationship that when they enter a room other people look over and can feel the love Mm. like a relationship where passion reignites over and over and over again over time where they fall in love they go through phases of just like falling in love with their partner where they say things like i can't believe i get to love this woman or i can't believe i get to love this man um and and they want a relationship that is a spiritual playground where they they understand that relationship is this immense immense arena for personal growth and spiritual awakening and um and they want it to feel like one like once they get to like a new layer of depth they're like oh oh my God, what's the next one going to be like? Yeah. Right? Um, and all yeah. of that is so possible in partnership. It's so possi- possible. It's not even that it's possible. It's that with the right tools and the right information and the right community, it is inevitable for your partnership to look like that. Um, so awesome. And, and these are the kind of people who are just like hell bent on, I call them the optimization population. Yeah. Right? Like they want every part of their life to drip with like, like the force of aliveness. Yeah, um, and and they're not open to like love and relationship being the exception to the rule in their life. That sounds like me. It is yeah. <laughs> But But I think you already know that because that's why but- we're here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love this. I love you. I'm just. I'm so grateful that you took the time to come on and just share your story. So vulnerably and passionately and i'm not kidding i want to have you back on to talk even more about just relationship questions and and themes um oh uh, yeah i'd love on. that yeah i would love it
1: too i i also want to we like we just talked so much but i also would love to talk about like when my relationship to food really transformed to it being something that i now am very like reverent of and have a nourishing um yeah like I I see it for like nourishment and like artistic expression and
0: it feels like so
1: much more symbiotic too
0: yeah can you touch on that before we wrap just like go
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay cool I don't have anything after this it's just a long episode um uh yeah so I, I was at 29. I'm 32 now. So it wasn't that long ago. And um, I actually, and I'm sure that some people experience these in different ways, but I did um, like an inflammatory protocol mm-hmm. where you um, you like cut out a lot of foods and then you like slowly reintroduce things back and you really like observe how it feels in your body. Mm-hmm. I did a, a whole 30 mm-hmm. and um, I did it and I had never... I had eat, I had been, so um, I'm lactose intolerant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then soy and wheat also reek, and like all lentils, like all legumes, lentils, chick, like they hurt when like they'll, I'll get like intense gastrointestinal pain, like all these things. But that had just been my norm for how my body felt. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was normal. Like, yeah, everybody has indigestion. Mm -hmm. And then when I did this protocol, I, and I found the, the things that actually, literally, like felt like hurt in my body, and and I took them out. All of a sudden, food became, um, food became like this nourishing, like, and it was like, ooh, I can eat rice, and it feels so good in my body. Mm. Ooh, I can, eat, I can eat these things that, like, uh, according to you know. 14 year old Cosmo, it's like, don't eat that. They're bad for you. Carbs are bad for you, right? Like, yeah. all of a sudden, these things that I loved felt nourishing, and I could identify the things that actually felt bad in my body or like made me feel blue and melancholic. And I started, and it was all body informed. Yeah. So it was my body telling me what made it feel good, and yeah. my body telling me what made it versus this top down, I shouldn't eat X, Y, or Z. Well, I, I never, yeah. I never had that dialogue. Like, I never had that sense of, like, connectivity with myself or that sensitivity to my body. Um, Yeah, so you were going to say something? Yeah, it's it's very – it's so
0: amazing that you experience that because very often – you know, I teach intuitive eating and the first principle of intuitive eating is reject the diet mentality. And a lot of people don't even realize that they are on a diet when, when we come into that, because it, it really is just food rules and relying on external Mm -hmm. information versus internal information. And so, yeah, like to your point, like that is that feeling of, oh my gosh, I know what works for my body and Mm -hmm. I know how, to eat in a way that makes me feel really good and also i'm able to live my life in a way that makes me feel really really good that's that's so beautiful that you
1: it's it's liberating it it is it took all of the anxiety and the guilt and the shame out of it where um like now i see cheese and it kind of grosses me out (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it's so associated to how unkind it is to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just feel like there's no charge around it anymore. I feel so like peaceful around food. Um, it's not something that like I think about or fixate on. Um, yeah, there's just like none of that that f- like – there's none of that emotional friction anymore. It's like food is this thing that's nourishing for me because I actually know what, what's nourishing based on yeah. what my body's told me. I feel like there's an intimacy with my body now because my body knows that I listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, there's, there's, like a, there's like a sweetness between me and my body that wasn't there before. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. also since I got, since, since the decisions I'm making around food are like what makes me feel good versus what doesn't make me feel good, there's also been this element of, like, creativity. So it's, like, I want to make tacos, uh, mm. but, like, corn doesn't feel good. Okay. And then I, like, find these cool – like, it's, it's, like, there's, like, a treasure hunt involved where, like, then I found these cassava tortillas, which are even better than corn tortillas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there's, like, a treasure hunt to it, and there's, like, an artistry to it. And also there's there's also kind of, like, a competitive athleticism, too, where – like, you know, restaurants, like they'll have like dairy and everything. And I'm like, oh yeah, well I can make all of that better and it's easy. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so just like, there's so much more enrichment to it. And, um, and I also cook a lot more. So like, I like get to like touch my food and have this like sensory experience. Nice. So it's, it's just like a wildly different landscape when it comes to food where food isn't like something I put in my mouth and feel bad about food is like the, it's like, it's an artistic medium. Yeah. And, and like the artistry is not only the cooking, but also the experience of my body and then feeling like nourished and Um, I even like recently, yeah, I had like another, it's just like, so it's just so much. It's like, it's like a romantic relationship. Like my body like telling me like, I don't like this thing. And then as, as like its partner, I'm like, yeah, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing it to you. Yeah. Versus yeah. like recently I realized that like, um, chocolate, uh, I don't or a lot of chocolates don't, they, they, they don't feel good afterwards, but I had just this like kind of like leftover thing where I was like, I like chocolate. And then I started. Slowing down, and like, was getting this feedback from my body that it was like, actually, we don't really like that. And I was like, oh, whoa, I never, you know, yeah, um,
0: it is. It's like a really, it is a relationship. I always say our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our bodies, our relationship with food. It's the most important relationships that we can have because it allows us to have all these other beautiful relationships in our
1: lives, Mm. and um. And because I feel nourished and I feel good, I also feel sexier. Totally. I feel like, like I'll catch myself, I'll look in the mirror and this has nothing to do with like size or weight. I haven't had a scale in years, you know, uh-huh. but like, I'll see myself in the mirror and I'll be like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> I don't even know if I look different, but it's cause I feel different. Yeah. You know? absolutely. And like, and like now recently I was like, you know what? I'm only like, it was like a gift to my body. I'm only getting nice lingerie. Mm, no more. I those like target $3 panty if you <laughs> love target $3 panties like power to you amen sister get it get it but for me I you know and it's and I and I think that's not because I'm like ooh, I want to I want to capitalistically consume lingerie it's like oh I'm I'm building more and more reverence for my body and I yeah. love to be clad and super high-quality, gorgeous lingerie. Like, well, it's it's very on-brand for you, too. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: hope you're wearing awesome lingerie. I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. Oh, I adore you. Thank you. Oh, Thanks for saying you. that. Thanks for just pausing and actually saying, hey, can we come back to that? Because it's, it's so valuable and it's so beautiful and just really, really puts a nice bow on this whole conversation so thank you again before you go where can everybody find you connect with you pimp yourself out
1: yeah um my name is hard to spell so i'm hoping it is throw the (laughs) links in the show notes i will so like the easiest most intimate way like i if you send me a dm i'm always in there it's not my team it's me like responding is to go to trulychosen.co that's my handle on Instagram, mm-hmm. trulychosen.co. And, and the idea is like, um, I think we all want to feel really truly chosen in partnership. And I think um, my goal is to really make sure that people are truly choosing yeah, love and partnership. Love that. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. you oh, a so pleasure. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest. If you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.